Hey guys, Mike here. So with this week's episode, we had some issues with the intro recording. So we just lost basically the intro and it starts right at the beginning when we're going into Black Clover. So you just missed the first couple intros into the episode, but we're right at the beginning of the episode's discussion. So thanks for listening and enjoy the episode, guys. In a, like literally the span of like three or four minutes. Um, like just the flight attack for Fauna, no actual combat. Kind of like, okay, it's kind of like... It makes a joke of his character, which his character kind of was comical in ways, but it's like, they kind of built him up, especially in the OP, to be an actual threat, especially given his position, like, in the world, so, I don't know, that was weird. Uh, now, yes, there's a chance he isn't actually dead, but after how they set that up, like, the shots and stuff, and the composition, and the acting, it'd be a little weird if he wasn't dead, and if he came back and was actually still able to fight, it'd be even weirder, and if he came back and was too weak, like, he should be if he comes back from that, then it's like, what's, what's the point? I don't know. Seems a little, like... Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, on that note, we turn our attention to Fauna and Mars' relationship, which is, like, the main thing we're looking at this episode, uh, and breaking through that. And while I felt emotionally engaged with the character dynamics, especially Mars and Asta, I felt like they have a really good relationship, and I really hope Mars is going to keep showing up because I love his character design um, personally, like, just, like, personal thing. I think it's, like, really unique in what they're doing. Uh, it feels like people who are, like, inspired by, like, Avatar Earthbending, but, like, actually finding a new creative avenue to evolve that animation style of, like, bending metal and, like, minerals and not just, like, doing the same thing over again. Uh, so I'm really hoping for more of that. But while I felt engaged with that, I did, I did find it, like, the constant reuse of the flashbacks really annoying and a little too much. Especially because we, you know, we, we've seen them most. The most of them are rehashed ones we've seen in the series already. So, like, I get Fauna having to remember them because she had her memories locked. That's fine. I get Mars now being, like, free from, like, the brain control last time we saw him. Kind of needs to remember it a little bit more. But he already saw them before. So, like, extending those moments, those moments, those moments, I don't know. It just, like, it made the entire thing drag for me, really. Especially for what was otherwise a team episode, right? There was, like, a bunch of, like, high-stakes action energy going on throughout it. Like, aside from the flashbacks, it would have been, like, okay, balances a bit. But that wasn't happening. So, I don't know. It was a little... So weird, in my opinion, choices, creatively. So hopefully this means that Throwdown with the Witch Queen is assumably our breakthrough moment for Vanessa's character uh, and the big climax of this arc. Uh, and that that will pay off the levels of hype that we have set up from the bar being set really high from Sea Temple arc. So you said, my name made it into the show. Yeah, you did. For Sunday show? Well, well here, here you are. So if anyone's for a Sunday show, make sure to say hi. But uh, yeah, anyone, I'll be K-close in here or anyone that's usually watching Black Clover. But anyone has any... Uh, opinions of Black Clover. Just gonna wait a minute for you guys to catch up in the chat to voice any of them. But, you know, the show gets me on its design hooks. And when it really has good character moments, like... As, as generic as some of the moments in between are, when you execute on the character dynamics in the show, it really pays off in spades and subverts a lot of tropes, which is really nice. Considering it gets by on generic stuff, which plays into the tropes in the first place, it kind of like it's kind of like a bank, right? Like it's like it's like a bank, it's like a like a four hundred one k, right? You're paying you're paying these tropes into this this fund, and instead of losing that money, you're actually growing it, and you're 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 withdrawing it at once for one big moment instead of making all the smaller moments count. Which I think like in itself is a very unique way to do the storytelling when it's done well, and in, in this case with the show, it's been doing really well. Uh, Afro says, I'm actually able to watch fully and from the start tonight. Well, welcome in, Afro. Keiko is actually in the chat now. Just woke up from a nap. Uh, from a nap. Naruto does the flashback thing, too. Yeah, Naruto overdoes it a lot. But, I mean, like, same production people involved. So, makes sense. But, uh, okay, cool. So, we're gonna move on from, uh, Black Clover to, um, uh, 
Sword Art Online. Oh, this video isn't available. Cool. B-roll. Okay, so... We're gonna get real serious about this episode. Like, we're gonna get real... Like, I don't have any uh, uh, footage from this episode in here. If you guys have watched. So... Fuck. I was really excited for this episode. Because I knew we were gonna get great... Or we should have got great conflict paid off. And why is that? That's because... Unlike Kirito, who's super protagonist man, chosen one, who's going to do everything through sheer force of will at one point or another. We were going to have it with Yujio, who, unlike Kirito, is a flawed, more human character. And thus, when he faces conflict in, and he faces conflict and, um, and type it down by the word, uh, the words. What does, what do words mean? Say more words. Um, when he faces conflict and... Another word, similar to conflict, it actually means something and is more entertaining to watch because you connect with it on that emotional level more, right? So I was very excited for it to see that, like paid off because it was going to pay off in this episode or at least hit the climax of this episode. And then we get to the title screen for this week with the warning about, I'm just going to pull it up actually. I'm just going to pull up and read it real quick because I want to, uh, I want to make sure I, I read this correctly. Because I, I want to set this up the way it would they'd set it up. Everyone said, oh, I had mixed, mixed feelings about this week. Yeah. Um, my feelings aren't so mixed. I sorted them out. So, hope, I, after all, I hope you get in the conversation about this one. Once I get through all this. Because uh, I would love to hear your opinions on all this. Alright, so then we get... Then we get to the screen. The screen says, The following program contains scenes of violence and sexual assault. And is intended only for mature audience. Viewer discretion is advised. This is the first time Soda Online has ever had this title card. And it is a show that literally has been infinitely memed on for such material. And I literally turned to my roommate who was eating at the counter next to me and I said, Welp, there goes Soda Online as soon as I as soon as I read that. So I'm gonna try to stick to what I've written here, because I feel like if I if I get a little out of control. Lude, no Siggy. Um no. You'll you'll find out in a second. So I don't really want to talk much about the plot of this episode at all. Because the talk about the plot of this episode is to talk about what happened. And not only is it like TOS not entirely safe to talk about. Um, I don't want to give them the uh, satisfaction of talking about what they put on screen. So aside from just saying sexual assault. We're going to just go from that and do the discussion of why I'm very disappointed about what I saw. Okay. Generally, so what they depicted on, on screen, in terms of sexual assault and violence, was completely unnecessary. Now, there's there's a there's another thing we can parallel right now, which is the first episode of Goblin Slayer that's on right now. Um, and I want to give it I want to give it some credit where credit is due. Unlike Goblin Slayer, where they had this issue, they did the one thing right of at least building up characters involved. So that we properly knew where to place emotions. We cared about characters who were being victimized. We cared about characters in the role of being able to stop the action. And we hated the characters who were performing the action for, for numerous reasons aside from they're just bad. So I want to give them credit that they did that. That being said, that's all the credit I'm going to give them now. Where do I even... Okay. 
trying to like stay into what I wrote because if I, if I like for my notes, because if I don't, I'm going to like get out of hand here. However, those moments on screen lasted for far too long. What they depicted in this episode was unnecessarily drawn out for a much longer runtime than it needed to be, okay? I would have preferred they put in bullshit flashbacks and filler leading up and after that moment than show those moments more. Not only did it just become disturbing to watch from how long they showed and made us listen to what was happening, but even with the understanding of Yu-Gi-Oh's mental and literal physical restriction of him not being able to step in, the scene had gone on far too long with him doing absolutely nothing as compared and in contrast to showing us what was happening that it made the scene lose the entire weight in drama that it was trying to enact and ju it just became nothing it became utter like like people say filth as a meme it became actual filth and i've watched like a lot of dark tv and movies as someone that is trying to be a professional in this industry has is going to college. I have to watch shit literally for homework and stuff and write papers. I've watched a lot of fucked up stuff. Usually it has meaning, or it has soliloquies, or it has like mental impl implementations like of uh, representing mental states. I know the chat's going crazy about this. And I'm going to address it, but I just I really need to get through this before I get sidetracked because I'm going to say things that I don't want to start saying in ways I don't want to say them if I get sidetracked. But never have I watched something like this where I felt like the people who had made this scene were relishing in what was happening on screen. It literally felt to me like they were enjoying, like they, they, they got so into it, it felt like, from like how much detail there was and variation and not just repeated sounds and, and shots. Like, like they were enjoying the content for what was there and not the reaction of the audience or the contrast to the protagonist. And maybe that's just me. Like, feeling that, but, like, I don't know. When we have, like, then you get to the moment at 11 minutes in when Yu-Gi-Oh's eye literally burst. Because, like, there's something that's, like, tied to the system that's, like, in his coding there, right? We don't exactly know, but something along those lines. Again, the scene had drug on for so long that that moment, which was supposed to be a huge moment for him was completely lost. It had zero value. It was just disgusting. I literally paused it and audibly said off out loud, what the fuck am I watching? Like, I'm not even joking. So, by the end, we get to see Alice, at least, which I guess is cool, because we're moving forward with the world plot, and Alice's design seems really dope, aesthetically. But basically, I'm just really unnerved and upset from like a professional standpoint at what I witnessed with, with a series that is so prominent and has such a wide viewer base that it should be setting an example for content. All right, I'm going to chat now. If you guys, I want to see all your opinions. We're going to have a discussion on this for sure. Um, let's get into it. Kinkle says, I had flashback from that dumb fairy, fairy arc rape. Lol. Yeah. Um, I would argue this is a million times worse. A million times worse. Uh, this episode was just Uggs as a scorcher. Don't get the slime tentacle rape. Yep, I said a million times worse than this. 
What's with anime this week? Tokyo Ghoul had a full-on sex scene too. It's not a sex scene. It's sexual assault. That's not, I don't watch Tokyo Ghoul, so I don't know if you mean to say it was sexual assault. This is not the same thing. This is sexual assault, which is different from a sex scene. It was 100% rape. That's the entire point of the scene, was we're going to rape these people to rape these people. I just had to skip through it a lot. Yep. Uh, I, I was at the point where I thought about it, but I, because I, I have to talk about it, I can't give an opinion and skip around. Because if there's a moment where they somehow justify it, then that's not fair if I missed that. It's not fair to critique it then. Uh, Kegel says, well, I was going to wait for the dubbed, but if Mike's this pissed, I might have to watch it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm pissed from a professional standpoint more than anything. It just feels so tasteless, to say it politely. So he says, I was thinking that as well. Some creeps banding together over their mutual interests. Yeah, I mean, like, granted, there was another reason to it. It was to fuck with Yujio and, and Kirito also. But, like, they were also deriving pleasure from it. So it, it's, like, two-handed. And, like, it, that doesn't excuse it in any way. So... Um, like, I was wondering why they created another scene like this. Season 1 already did enough with this. Yeah. Yeah. Season 1 was, like, the line. Like, they... Season 1 was already crossing the line, barely. And then this one, they just took a full sprint past it. They forced Asuna marriage in Season 1 bugged me. That was... That's not even weird. The last scene with the guys weird. The forced marriage is, like, that's just Japanese culture. That's just, like, you know, that just happens. Like, even happens in America today, so... Afro says, usually when someone gets the karmetic justice they deserve for the horrific actions, I'm usually okay with it. Uh, uh, usually okay with what was shown before. But this time, because it's all usually upbeat and colorful, it just ruined the next few episodes for me. Yeah. They, like, they, like, it's one of those things you talk about with, like, prison. I mean, we're not going to get political here, but, like, just an example, right? It's like, is, like, like, it's a question. I don't have the answer, and I'm not going to say my opinion. But is it fair that this guy who murdered someone gets to... Oh, we're going to fairy tale footage. We're not at fairy tale yet. Uh, is it fair this guy who murdered someone gets to live in prison when the person... The crime they committed was murder? It's one of those things. It's like, does this scene... Is is the rest of this justified because of what they did? And it's because of what happened to them. And it nowhere near is. My biggest takeaways here is that it was too long. It was way too detailed. And it, uh, like, the amount of detail that went into it, literally, like, compared to other shots in the episode and stuff, in moments, like, literally felt like they were enjoying it. And, I don't know. It's another thing. Afro also says, and for what other reviewers who read the light novel and manga say, worse is coming. Fuck. Um, so I'm gonna say it right now. If it does worse things my biggest problem comes with this right like, i don't think it's not i don't think it's not okay to use sexual assault in media that's not what i'm saying as long as you're using it correct like you, you have something to say about it when you're using it right and not just like throwing it in there to add stakes like unnecessarily or unjustifiably that's not what i care about what i care about was the execution of what they put on screen and that that was specifically, again, to put it politely, extremely tasteless and unprofessional, in my opinion, for what what this show is in the industry. It, not even, not even like, if this is a random show, a brand new show, I would also find it disgusting. I find it more disgusting that it's a show that is a pillar of the industry. So, if, if it does worse stuff and executes it on the, like, like worse content than this, and the content is equally as 
disgustingly executed, I might axe Sword Art Online from the weekly discussion and just come back to it when it's done. Because I don't want to promote that because it's not okay. I used to say, at least I'm prepared now. Still makes no sense. Yep. Uh, any last opinions before we move on? Um, I'm sorry that I kind of just like tuned you guys out for a long while there, but I, I just, I knew if I started getting off track with the chat, um, I started jumping around too much and then I start folding in filler words, just a lot of cursing probably, which I don't want to have. So. Yeah. So sorry about that. But any last thoughts before we move on? Waiting for the chat to catch up. That's what we do. If you're a podcast listener, 10 p.m. EST, twitch.tv slash the mighty mic. All of the information in the about of your podcast. So you said, I imagine there are people who are victims of sexual assault who got triggered by this. Yes. And that's what upsets me the most. Yes. 1,000%. Like, I can't, like, I don't, I'm not going to talk on it. Because I am, like, that's not my place to speak as someone who, is a cis white male, middle class, hasn't been sexually assaulted. But yeah. Kugel says I'm going to have to try to watch it to talk about it more. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, in that case, let's just move on. Fairy Tale, though, is here to cleanse our shonen palette, guys. Well, we didn't get thrown down, get a great throwdown between Natsu and the team against, you know, one of the 12 uh, knights. There was a really serious rise in stakes, even without direct action. The contrasting dialogue between our protagonist and one of the 12 knights was in itself conflict being put out in screen, painted the entire tra entire travel arc's worth of information about like where we are, the people we're going to be conflicting against in this one episode. It was purely a dialogue in, a, in like an episode that was made from the script up in terms of dialogue and writing. And it really executed well from that. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are disappointed. Rightfully so, I guess. Because it's fairy tale. You want some action. You know, they kind of set that up. As as someone who, who uh, like is trying to write, I appreciate it on a level that maybe people don't appreciate. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's fine. I think if you're like, hey, this kind of sucks. They built up some action. Then when they get the action, the action, then, like, that's a totally valid opinion. And I 100% agree with you that, like, you should feel... You should feel bamboozled by that. On that note, oh fuck, Zarev is the goddamn king of the nation, uh, which was honestly, which is honestly was not surprising to me because it made a lot of sense. I was always wondering, watching like, is the thing we go back to is the people we keep going back to is disciples of Zarev, followers of Zarev, and every time there's little to no connection between Zarev and them, and I'm just sitting here like. It seemed like he'd want a guild of his own. I'm using quotation marks for people listening. Um, per se, to just fight Acnologia. And especially when you get the context of Zera from Season 0, from Fairy Tale Zero, the, the whole founding of the guild season. You know, it would make a lot of sense that he would want that. So while I wish the shots they chose to, like, slowly tease it out when Makarov sees them, and we don't know for a fact that Zera, the fact that the first shot, reverse shot, is his cloak, it kind of ruined it. It's like, oh, that's a little, like... You could have just skipped right into it, took a direct shot. But, uh, yeah, it was super cool moment. Like, the execution overall was great. Tonally, it's great. They've really built up Zeref to be a force. It really reminds me of Zaheer from, um, I'm saying a lot of ums tonight. Sorry, I'm trying to really try to cut that out. It reminds me of Zaheer from Legend of Korra, book, uh, book three of Legend of Korra. 
where like any time he steps on screen, the entire atmosphere changes. And not because they're forcing it, but your just connection and emotional relationship to the characters there. It just puts you there on its own. Uh, did it again. <laughs> However, I think the biggest cue in quality that we're going to get about this season, or in terms of like setting up this season from this episode, comes from the ending. Not only are we not going to... Sorry, I skipped around for a second. Not only are we not spending multiple episodes slowly dripping out questions and answers while we travel around this country, but we aren't spending needless time watching characters actually physically travel, right? The way they set up this entire rescue mission, I expected that we were going to be waiting at least a month before Natsu and the team even got to the capital, let alone saw Makarov themselves. We would see Makarov probably, but not themselves, right? Not only... So, not only did I think... Makarov was actually going to die when he was, like, talking to Zeraph and Zeraph started to kill him. Because that expectation was set up, I thought he was genuinely going to die. And it made a great moment of tension. And then made a greater moment of surprise when they were there. And it set up even a greater fear for next episode because it's like, oh shit, Zeraph and everyone know they're fucking there. Like, that's going to be crazy. And also the creators have basically made a statement that, like, we're not bullshitting around this season. No filler bullshit. We are going into the stuff that matters, and we're not dragging this along. Thus, I am very excited to see where it goes from here. But guys, thoughts on fairy tale? So he says, uh, "Give me ginger to my wasabi." Feels better. Feels better, man. Don't don't know what you mean by that, but sure, I'll do that when I can. Lol, they're just scaling their characters right now before the battle. Zeraph is bad, mofo. Yeah, dude, he is. He is great. Uh, Kegel also said, lol, I had the same feeling when, uh, Madara Uchiha. Yeah. Madara, I feel like it was lost on me a bit. Uh, because there was so much confusion around that. Like, there was so much subterfuge around who is Madara, like, every single time. So, I, I don't, I didn't have the same exact connection, but it's, it's definitely what they wanted. For me, I, I think the closest thing, and it's honestly, I don't think on the same level, but I think it's Zaheer. Zaheer, Legend of Korra, book three, roughly what they're going for here, and roughly what's being paid off. Uh, Zaheer is one of the best villains ever executed on screen, I think, in my opinion. In terms of just the ability to warp everything around him. But yeah, any other thoughts, guys, about Fairy Tale? Any predictions, maybe? No spoilers, obviously. Oh, the, yeah, Ginger being a palate cleanser. Got it. You got... You're just playing on my joke. Thank you, Siggy. I, I, I appreciate you. Okay, Klaus, I feel like... I mean, I'm assuming this is how it was in the manga, too, at this point. But I would assume if they aren't putting filler, like, just creating their own filler where they could have and still playing this moment the way it was, I'm going to hope they just, like... Cut the ass pulls. What's up, Andrew Myers in the chat? What's up, Andrew? Welcome, welcome. All right. So moving on from uh, moving on from uh, Fairy Tale. There's no Ducktales this week. Ducktales is on hiatus right now. So let's go to Banana Fish. This show is literally going to kill me before it's over. I swear it. I absolutely swear it because I cannot take it anymore. I need to know how this is going to end. Okay. So while yet again, I'm a bit annoyed at how someone's own foolishness for or someone who is supposed to be an experienced combatant, uh, in this case, the general or the colonel with the cigarette on the ground, um, 
is the escape, you know, method is the the way to get out of the situation. The weight in each of the scenes in this case being so heightened made it an afterthought. Not a big deal. I didn't really have emotions about it until I started writing this up. The best thing about all of what is happening right now, and I brought it up last week, is that literally, before it was just our protagonist, but literally every character, the good guys, the bad guys, the supplemental good guys, the random gang guys who don't have names, all these people, they're no longer working in the lines of politics, in parties, in groups. They are all acting on their own emotions, their own wants, their own desires, their own needs, their own thoughts, their own threats on their life, their own threats against other people's lives. Everything is out the out the window. There is no way to predict what's going to happen because we are literally not watching characters. We are watching real, fully developed, we're watching characters, but the fully developed characters into what is believable human emotions and choice acting out on screen. So there's just no idea what's going to happen, who's going to help who, and who's going to betray who and why. We don't know. And it's amazing every single time. It's real, unpredictable decision-making that leaves you reeling at every turn. And even at the end of the episode, where we knew Eji was going to get shot, just based on the setup, just based on the dialogue specifically in that scene alone, as the scene kept playing, as the credits went up over it, it was still so heavy in that moment. I was left shocked at how they were able to raise the bar every time I turn on this show. And I don't know what I'm going to do when I reach this conclusion other than have a full episode and talking about this entire show. Because obviously, because there's so much to talk about, especially because we started this show while Banana Fish was super deep into its run. The fact that they foreshadowed Edgy getting shot for so many episodes into this episode, into the exact moments leading up to it. And I still felt something with like unnecessarily too much almost soap opera foreshadowing and lampshading and I still felt that is amazing so guys thoughts of banana fish for this week I want to know I hope you guys have been watching this show because I, I need to talk about this with you guys this is why I say banana fish is sludge for me because it's the same thing over and over again oh I don't like him so I'll not listen to my boss and do what I think is right and be shocked the effects bite me in the ass Here's the difference though, right? Like, originally that was like around just Ash, right? And you excuse Ash's like routine decision making in that way because he literally would rather die than go back to that life for good reason. You know, the sex ring stuff. Like, he doesn't want to do this stuff. Makes sense. But now we're watching people who have just been along lines characters even the hospital scene where Goldzine decided to just act on his own instead of in the interest of the foundation is a great moment and now that every character is running around doing that and basically being humans instead of characters i don't know for me it's great i i, I totally understand from like a pacing standpoint it becomes a little too much at times i think you have to remember that this is right this is older writing it's 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 an adaptation of writing from the 90s i want to say not 80s it's definitely 90s if not, maybe extending a little bit into the early 2000s. So, you gotta, like, take it for that as you will. And, yes, that doesn't excuse them. They could have updated some of the writing, right? But if they're trying to pay as much original homage to the source material, it kind of makes sense. And for, for me, because of the subject matter, I think this works really well. And this is why I really hope it gets a Toonami rated R dub 
on Toonami because this show, like Bebop, has so many American TV and film aesthetics and thematics that it will do so well if it gets a proper dub. Alright, looks like we're all good on uh, Banana Fish. So, on to Ruby. Ruby is falling apart like Beacon did in Season 3. I hope you guys like that joke. Because nothing nothing else to really joke about. It's just things to crit criticize. Okay, so. Most of this episode had cool moments. I, I put that in quotes. But they weren't strong story beats. They were just that. Cool moments. First, we have the opening scene with Cinder and Neo. Which was just wasted screen time. Cool, we get to see Neo. Cool, we get to see Cinder. Cool, we get to go to where the relic was. Guess what? It means absolutely nothing. While we didn't get an exact acknowledgement last time we saw them together on screen, we were led to assume they were teaming up. No negotiating needed because they clearly both want to get revenge on Ruby. We already know that Salem has forbidden Cinder from killing Ruby. Which was the main point of this scene. But this is knowledge we already know. So, you know, don't, you know, don't need to say it again. And clearly Neo is going to be able to kill Cinder. So that's not happening. So even if they weren't going to team up, right? Even if you, like, okay, let's say we really want to put it across so they teamed up. You don't have to do that. Because here's what happens. Either they didn't team up and you're left wondering until one of them shows up, are they teaming up? If they did team up, then like the combat ends and it's like, oh, they didn't team up. But you're left wondering at the same time. Where's Cinder? Or, where, or where's Neo? Who engages? Or you have one engage, and then the other one shows up and starts kicking ass when turning the tide, right? And that's a good story beat. But instead, you had a whole scene that did nothing. It added zero material and knowledge. If There's no way there, that the next time we see them on screen doing anything, that we would be confused if this scene from the beginning of this episode did not exist. Because there was zero new information added that we already weren't given enough information to at the very least draw conclusions from. Any scene that comes next that would confuse you would confuse you even if this scene's here. So, literally just wasted padding. Like, did not need to exist. Moving on. I'm very upset about that, just that being in there. Sorry. It's just like, it's the whole thing. Try fire where I actually was in this document. <laughs> Alright. Following that, we have the Reaper scene. And while it was super badass, like, really well designed and stuff like that, combat, character design, all great, right? At the end of the day, it was just seemed like a way to force us to force value on a character, a new character, to give her involvement in this adventure more stake. It's just like, oh, old lady who knows everything. Here's how she knows everything. You should really trust her because of this. Kind of gives Silver Eyes a meaning, but doesn't because it hasn't told us any lineage. You know, we and we already assume she had Silver Eyes, but she didn't need to be like a super famous Huntress legend to have the Silver Eyes. She could have just been someone that had Silver Eyes and, and hit it and stuff, right? And knew how to use it. So like, there's also a lot of holes in her existence in the way she is as a famous legend and all that stuff. The fact that like, Crow knew about her. The fact that they knew about her exploits and it would be directly related to like having silver eyes, which means something Ruby could have been told or researched and stuff like that because people all knew she had goddamn silver eyes. Like, there's just a lot of holes in that. And I don't want to dig into that because that's a lot of like nitpicky writing stuff. But, oh, what is up? Having the purple Santa subscribe tier one. Subscribe so for two months. What are you talking about? I just got in. So I need a PP presentation. 
knows to catch up. We're doing Anna Sundays. Right now, we're talking about Ruby. We're doing the weekly roundup. Then we're talking about the uh, new Marmara Asada film, Mariah. Every Sunday, we talk about animation and uh, Western Eastern anime animation and uh, just discuss it with you guys. Havoc's finally in here. Havoc, welcome in. Uh, there's a panel down below, Havoc, about sub uh, sub And uh, I think it's something you'd be into, given the kind of person you are. So, um... I'll just say that because I'm not going to take time from what's going to get uploaded on the podcast services everywhere we talk about it. So anyway, it just felt really inserted and unnecessary. What really mattered this episode was not arriving at our destination, but what it meant. For Jean, that small amount of time with Ruby that he spent just talking to her when they all grouped up was a big moment. I mean, he like he lost the last time he said goodbye to someone because they had to go split up. It, it was Pira. And Pira died. So... You have to think about what was going through his mind during that time. How literally torn apart he probably was feeling. Just waiting and waiting. Not knowing anything. And it really paid off in all the... Like, the moment was so subtle, but it paid off so well. And then not only do we get a full of really good fandom hunger fill by finally introducing us to a fellow arc with John's sister, but it's in such a natural way to progress the story, right? It gives us a personal insight to the plight among people right now in this continent, in this city, and the general populist residents and what they're dealing with. They're going to be some of the conflicts in this new location. Hopefully this means we get more Jean backstory, which I'm really praying pays off the foreshadowing from the original three volumes. But we'll have to wait and see how that goes because a lot of that stuff has been going to the wayside because Monty isn't there to execute on it. So the track record's been a little hit or miss on that stuff. But guys, any opinions on Ruby this week? <laughs> okay, close up like we just weep combo. Yeah, for some basically. I mean, you know, that's that's you can say it that way. You didn't have to. <laughs> I don't think many of you guys are really watching Ruby right now who uh take a place in the chat, but uh it's gonna let you guys give a chance to uh catch up. Oh havoc is havoc opinions, give it to me. Look at that. Havoc just jumps in and he's like, I'm watching Ruby. Well, great. What'd you think about the episode? Thoughts and opinions, my dude. Welcome, Havoc. Havoc comes in, renews his sub, and just instantly, I'm in the conversation. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm here to, I'm here to fuck. Not in the way we talked about earlier. Thank God. Giving it time to catch up so I don't have to go and cut out the space. I'm going to sing a song for the podcast listeners everywhere. If you miss an episode live or have to leave, there's a VOD on Twitch or podcast services everywhere. That's Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, all that stuff. Sp uh, yes, Spotify said. Having said, I watched Ruby, Fairytale, Boruto, and others. Episode was good. As for backstory on the Grim Reaper, I felt it was rushed. Yes. I think you got in right when I was finishing that up. And that's exactly exactly what my consensus is. It's just, it's just in there and it doesn't have enough weight to it to justify being in there like that. Uh, we're not talking about Boruto right now because I'm actually watching the dub because I think it's a really quality dub and I know people in it. So I'm just watching the dub to watch the dub. I don't know. It's stupid. I know. And we are talking about fairy tales. So definitely come back next week to, um, to, to talk about, fa uh, fairy tale with us for sure. I've said, I have been a fan just a while. Hope's a hype for the hype train. Tom's adding a bunch of words to the block list. Thank, thank you, Tom. <laughs> these are these are all good words to, to block. Yes. <laughs> What's the name on other platforms? Uh, Anna Sunday. Anna Anna Sunday on any platform. Uh, it should be published by the Mighty Mike or by Mike Knowles also. So, having said, yeah, it was cool knowing who the old lady was, 
but like wham bam thank you ma'am who do you know yeah exactly yeah it's it's a whole thing so okay so moving on to the last uh second to last show in our weekly uh, roundup Suryane hits an arrow right into my heart this week for what we expect to be a big tournament arc moment we actually got a very deep personalized episode about the the inner complexities of all these characters uh this episode really gave us insight by exposing our main characters and making them feel very vulnerable to us in different ways we didn't just figuratively understand that from their actions and choices like before which was done well we're not discrediting that at all rather the situations and other characters forced them to speak or reveal true raw emotion rather than emotionally driven choices and this raw reveal raises not only a connection with the characters that we get deeper with us and the characters but in turn the stakes of the tournament are now raised and directly tied to their internal conflicts in a much deeper way as opposed to the superficial way it was before of course we got more eye porn of shoes fire animations which are still so gorgeous but we finally see Minato get a nice shot. I mean, we get a whole, full, nice animation of that. And that was so rewarding, not only from a story perspective, but in the way it was animated. Not just it was animated nice, right? But it was animated in con in a contrasty way. Contrasty is not a word. In a way that contrasts Shu's animation. It's very different stylistically in terms of shot choice and what it's accomplishing. And it not only mirrors the emotional their own emotions, but then each other's emotions against each other. And even the viewer experience, like there's there's emotional weight to it in the sense of how you're feeling as well, and replications of like light sources and stuff like that, that I thought were just absolutely stunning. And it and in, in, in the end, it was just like a really fresh, a breath air moment for Minato as a character. Though I would be remiss to not hark on what the catalyst for this moment was, because it seemed to be pretty trivial, at least in terms of narrative storytelling, right? Because it was the flashback to the sound, right? Which is just something we've been led to believe he's been, like, thinking about a lot in these moments already. Like, sure, there's some moments where it was, like, definitely just the audience, not him thinking about it. It was, like, the first or second time. It was just us seeing that moment and learning that moment. But there are definitely been times where he's the one thinking about it. So why, like, what's... The difference about this one is why do you shoot? But the whole point of that scene is how he got into shooting. So it was never ambiguous. Can't even talk tonight. Ambiguous. Am ambiguous. That's the word. <laughs> Say words good. So that that was a little annoying personally. Uh, but the way the catalyst mirrored Kaito's issues, I think really made up for it in a lot of good ways. So anyone's thoughts on Saturday? Sports anime is my thing, so I'm out to get close. Yeah, this is much less a sports anime than other sports anime. This is much more a slice of life show that has a sport and it's cool because the sports also has religion aspects to it so it's not just like we throw the ball good because that's our life it's like there's a lot of different reasons for different characters that are not as superficial and not to say you know people's reason for playing sports are superficial i'm not saying that at all but there they, there's different emotional ties with sports animes and shows that can seem superficial at times and i this show corrects that not mistake but that issue because I think of the religious nature and cultural importance of archery as a sport in Japan. So I slice I'm also out to K close. Alright, it's not for everyone for sure. Well, in that case, let's hit our last show up for the weekly roundup before we get into Mirai. And that is, of course, the breakout hit of the season. My Senpai is a bunny girl. So my senpai be a My Senpai is a bunny girl wraps up yet another successful two-block arc. I really 
really liked what they did with the ending, what happened in terms of events to wrap up this social issue, right? Using, I, I talked about it last week, this was definitely a possibility, and I, if it was, I didn't know how they were going to take it, and I'm very happy with what they did. Using my success at the performance was such a good tool in what they used to execute on. Sorry, uh, having touches updating anime as I watch. Ruby, Fairytale, Boruto, One Piece, My Hero Academia. God, My Hero Academia. Attack on Titan, Black Clover, Overlord, Fools. Whoa, hello, Bunny Girl. Little JK. Yeah. Uh, the Bunny Girl suit is literally only for two episodes, I believe. And it's, there's a, there's a reason that it exists. Um, TLDR it, it, her issue. It's, it's a slice of life, slice of life dealing with adolescent social issues mixed with putting those social issues into physicality with sci-fi things. So for her, it's like, I don't know who I am, so people can't see me anymore because I don't understand myself. So she would put on the bunny girl outfit and just walk around public places, and she would realize people can't see her because obviously if someone's doing that, you're going to look at her. So, yeah. So that's why that's there. It's not there for, like, sexual reasons, which is, like, great and smart and also tricks you into watching it with the advertising and then gets you with really good quality. So anyway. Using it as the setup... It really showed to set up how success and other things in life, like emotions and such, are skewed by perspective. And that could cause a lot of emotional trauma, to, not trauma, but emotional disturbance to people. And it was fantastic, right? In this case, we see first how Nodoka uh, felt about everything and how she assumed the meaning and emotion behind how her mother treated Mai, who was, uh, who was pretending to be her. How my, uh, how, how her mother treated her after the performance, how my handled the performance, all this stuff, all these interactions from her perspective, right? And how much it hurt her. And then we come in with my being like, no, she wasn't happy because I was, because I was, you were, you were me. She was happy because she felt so much like responsibility about your mental health and like your state as a person. And I think it says a lot about how we go about life, not really thinking about other people's thoughts and feelings from our own actions, and that inability to think about why people might get offended or upset by things we do or say that we might think normal or fine because we're lacking that perspective and they're lacking, in turn, our perspective and, like, where that's coming from. And topping that off, the emotional beats moment to moment were just really strung along so well to get us there. Whether it was revisiting the commercial shoot, whether it was Nodoka's mom showing up out of nowhere trying to find her, they were just really strong and well-paced beats. And though the, though the catalyst of the resolution in this episode was also a little weak, I think it was less what the catalyst was and how they paid it off in, like, timing. So in this case, it was the letters that Maya kept, and I think it's due to the tightness of the scene, really talking about and explaining them rather than the catalyst themselves. I, I, I think it could have benefited from an extra minute of Nodoka being alone with being alone with him, just talking about what those letters meant to her at the time. And then Mai comes in with her perspective. That's what I felt was happening, is that we had Nodoka have an immediate reaction, but we didn't get to hear her perspective and feelings on them then and on their existence still now. And then we just had Mai come in and kind of shove, no, this is what it is, this is how I feel, this is what it's really about, down our throats. And I feel like we needed that contrast, so that was, so that was a whole point of this whole like little journey we went on these two episodes, was, was the contrast of perspective. I felt like we needed that built up more. That being said, I think the show continues to bring the feels in just all the right ways and talk about a lot of really important issues to to not just like kids but young adults in society that we just don't want to talk about or deal with in a very interesting and eye-catching way. Uh, there's also very human and raw in the dialogue, so 
Again, watch my bunnies. My senpai is a bunny girl. It's amazing. Thoughts in the chat? Average says, yeah, it's not bunny all the time. It's not bunny time all the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Giggles says, perspective is one thing no one can really control. Because everyone has their own thoughts and feelings on the issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's not about... It's not about perceiving or predicting someone's own perspective. It's just remembering that it's not going to always be the same as yours. And that's that's what really is important about that. I think at the end of the day, no one's asking you to 100% know where they're coming from, know where and how they're thinking and why. They're just asking you to, to think about... They're just asking you to think about why how it may come off to them or other people so yeah, any any other thoughts about my sub bunny girl if not we'll be wrapping up the uh weekly roundup the weekly recap and uh heading into our main topic of the night Ooh. all right cool looks like we're good so well, let's right into it shall we before we get into it i want to take time to remind you guys uh that Oh, my Havoc says, I want to check it out. I've just usually watched certain types of anime. Full list is longer for sure. Yeah, this is a, this is a, this is going to be a short series overall. So it's not too many episodes to get through. I think this is episode nine or 10. They're really good. Just watch it, Havoc. Just, just watch it. I, I, I especially with the cover art and the key art and stuff like that. I didn't think I was going to like it either. And like I said, they totally like duped people into it. Be like, oh, it's a harem show. I like harem shows. And it's like, no, it's not a harem show. It's very very not it's it, it is at times but it uses those times to then to then like inverse the trope to play on it and use that for better content so i want to remind all you guys if you're, lo- if you're listening on podcast services everywhere or you're tuning in for the first time we do the show every sunday night 10 p.m est uh new topic for the day the recap of the week it's always a conversation with you guys i want the opinions in the chat i want to hear your responses we get guests on here every time we can Again, unfortunately, my guest tonight had to back out. Couldn't get a new one last minute. So, just me tonight with you guys. But if you're watching on podcast service, listening, I guess I guess you could watch it. You could just look at a blank screen. No one's stopping you. If you're listening on podcast services everywhere, you can find it on twitch.tv slash the mighty mic. All the information should be in the about section of this podcast. The podcast goes up every single Monday. So, weird that it's called Anna Sunday. That's why it's live. Sorry about that, guys. Had to name it something. That's what we named it. And, of course, also, I am also on all social media at the mighty mic. Same way. Um, T-H-E-M-I-G-H-T-Y-M-I-C Like a microphone Every social media And I Twitch stream All throughout the week Gaming stuff So come in Hang out Play some like play some games with us Because we do that on Fridays Or just hang out While I play games We can talk about anime still Doing whatever But Our main topic for this week Is Mirai Now It's coming from One of again My favorite directors Not just the animation Who I think right now Is the best director in animation right now but one of my favorite, one of my favorite directors of all time, not just animation, live action included. Mamra Hasada, director of such amazing hits like *The Girl Who Leapt Through Time*, *Digimon* the movie, <laughs> the actual execution of his plot when he finally got it funded after doing *Digimon* the movie, *Summer Wars*, *Wolf Children*, *The Boy and the Beast*. And now, Mirai. So, for those of you guys who haven't seen Mirai, because it only had a two-week run, I think it was like five days in theaters, I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the plot of Mirai. Just so, just so you guys can uh, you know, get a little caught up here. So, 
Kuhn is a boy born to an executive mother and an architect father. The family lives in a stepped house Kuhn's father designed around the tree, where Kuhn spends his days playing with their family dog, Yuko, and his beloved toy trains. When Kuhn is four, his sister Mirai, Japanese for future, is born, and he is happy at first when his mother returns home with her. But he soon grows jealous when his parents focus all their attention on her, and has to be restrained from hitting her with one of his toy trains. He lashes out first at his mother, and then at his father, when he becomes a stay-at-home dad working from home when his mother returns to work. After one such tantrum, Kuhn stops off to the house's garden, where he meets a strange man who claims to be the prince of the house. And as we go on these adventures throughout the future, uh, we meet all these fantastical people in this like time-hopping events, with the main character he meets and interacts with being his sister Mirai, all grown up. So, this is going to be full spoilers if you guys are new. So, if you want to watch this film without getting spoiled, you can. I will say right now, this is not a... In my opinion, this movie isn't about plot. It's about the experience it's giving off. And so, I don't feel like there's an issue knowing what's going to happen. So, to start off, I personally believe that Mirai... This, this is not his best work. That being said, it's still an amazing film. And even... I don't think it's his... Personally, I would probably rank it second to last out of his films for me personally. In overall quality, I don't know where to put it because I, I'm having some issues and I'm not sure if that's just my viewer issue. It's, it's, either, it's one of those issues where I'm, I pride myself on being objective about these kind of things, but I can't tell if it's my own subjectiveness and not objective. So I'm going to lay off saying where I think, I mean, production-wise, it's some of his highest produced work for sure in terms of like production quality, but... Even the worst Hosada film is better than the average film. So that being said, still an amazing film. It definitely skews towards a younger audience uh, entirely. Whereas a lot of his films, they, they, they all tie around like relationships and family and stuff like that in different ways. So they skew both old and young just in different ways. Different parts of the film skew old, different parts skew young. This one very purposefully skews young more far more than it does old whereas i feel like there's usually a very good balance between them uh, and this is in terms of content and cinematically how it works in the film uh it keeps the content but in terms of cinematic story like in terms of content the content still works for adults but that's like in in the results not in the experience in terms of cinematic storytelling experience i think it falls a little short for older audience members, which is fine. If that's if that's the intent, that's fine. But as someone that wants to go see it as a young adult, I want to also enjoy it on that level. And maybe I'm in the also weird sweet spot. because it, So it's mostly about to boil it down. It's about dealing with having a younger sibling, right? Like how that changes a life when you're, you're a kid and now there's another sibling introduced to the family, right? That, that attention that gets immediately redistributed from your parents because... This is a, a child, an existing being that just can't take care of themselves at all when you're used to having their full attention. And then you're being put the wayside because, you know, you're raised a bit. They trust you to be able to work better, but you, you're not emotionally grown enough to understand that at all. Even, even if you're older, right? This like A lot of these emotions, even though they don't play out the same way, can be felt by someone who's like 15 and they get a younger sibling. Like, they're going to feel it in the same way. So I think that works. I might just be in the weird sweet spot because, like, the contrast is between Kuhn, who is... 
super little boy and his parents who are full grown adults that I'm in this as a, as someone who's like 22 in this weird sweet spot where I can't connect enough with either side. So that just might be me. That being said, I still cried in the third act. The shot of future Mai, Mirai coming down against the blue and red landscape was just miraculously beautiful. And the entire moment was paid off so well. And, but really seeing, going through the tree, the, tr the family tree, the physical family tree that ended up being. And like visiting moments in time and stuff like that. That's what really got me. So your perfect track record, Hasada, aside from the Digimon movie, which we don't count as like one of your films. You have made me cry in the third act of all of your films. You madman. Congratulations. Perfect track record. I felt like the parents and adults, the writing for them was very bland. Uh, and it was mostly expository, like 80% of the time. And I'm not sure if it's because it's, again, aimed at more children viewers. And thus they want to just boil it down to more understandable things for children. Or if it's due to the translation and dubbing choices. Because I don't feel like it's his own writing. So it's either intentional from the start. Or it's because the, the translator, the writing translator, or the dubbing director decided to change the dialogue in this way for one reason or another. And th when I took down this note, that's how I felt. Might be more possible. And then, because this is the... This is the I don't think it was the first time this company has dubbed his work. But usually Funimation has been involved in the releases of his work theatrically. And this is the first one in a while that they haven't been. So, at least as far as I'm aware. I should have double fact-checked that, but as far as I'm aware. Like, the last one where the Beast was done through Funimation. I 100% know that. And I'm pretty sure Wolf Children was as well. So, then I did research on who was actually, not just in the production company, but who was specifically doing that work. And the people who did that work are people who do some of the best work in the dubbing industry. So I'm leaning more towards that he wanted this for younger viewers and thus the adults dialogue and stuff is as it is because they want children to be able to understand it easier and not so much adults necessarily relate to it as much <clears throat> and as deeply. So I think the messaging of family relations that Hosada always lampshades his pieces around is abundantly clear in this film because he's no longer lampshading but rather he made it the focal point or even the gimmick of the film, because they're always fantasy or sci-fi based in some way, right? All of his films are like that. So the gimmick the trick in this in this one, the time travel esque power, even takes a backseat to it, because it's inner it's interwoven into this thought and this subject matter of family and such. And whether or not I just can't appreciate it from again being in that weird, not young enough and not old enough sweet spot. Or whether what he has to say about it just isn't strong enough to envelop me as a viewer is unclear. Because normally they work great because there's a plot, and that's the A plot, right? Like Boy and the Beast. The plot is a kid's growing up without his parents and he wants to learn to fight for himself and live for himself. Coming of age, the superficial plot A plot is like beating the bad guy, becoming an amazing swordsman, helping this guy become the next king, you know, the next god. In this one, it's just about dealing with family relations and, and just relationships in general. And so, again, when I wrote down this note, I wasn't sure. The more I did research, the more I believe this is just all in intentional. It's all not dumbed down, but it's skewed for the younger audience so that they can appreciate it more. And so he can teach younger people a lesson in that way. Even though in America, this is definitely marketed to all audiences because 
his track record is so amazing and he's been around for so long that there's going to be a lot of older people who want to watch his work. And obviously they want to sell tickets too. So I want to lean in. I want to, I want to believe it was leaning into that more than anything else. But I do, I mean, critically, I do have to like ask the question, does he maybe not have something strong enough in this case to really talk about when it comes to relationships, when it comes to coming into this own right of, of sibling? Because he's, he's even said in his interviews about this, he's an only child. And this is based on other people's experiences that he's, he's witnessed and having his own children, essentially. So he's only writing from the parent's perspective, not from the kid's perspective, whereas in a lot of other circumstances, he's had that perspective. So I'm, I'm just very curious as to whether he may just not have, you know, had something that strong to talk about. And I think it's something that should be, you know, addressed, even if you don't want to, because again, like I look up to him, I want to believe he knows what he's doing. But at the same time, I think we need to objectively look over it. On that note, there's something else to really say about like it not having enough to say in the fact that I think he understood that there was definitely a limit to what he had to say because it does have the shortest runtime out of any of his films being clocked at only an hour 40 minutes which is then followed by his first ever film A Girl Who Leapt Through Time um, which is at an hour 44 Summer Wars which is at an hour 55 Wolf Children at an hour 57 and of course my personal favorite and what I believe is his masterpiece because this film didn't become the masterpiece it's still his masterpiece, a masterclass in what is Hosada's filmmaking, The Boy and the Beast, at two hours. And it reflects it in that runtime, in a way. Keiko says, as the oldest sibling, I haven't seen this, but from the videos and your description, sounds like a real take on older siblings. Yeah, uh, I'm an older sibling. I felt some of the emotional beats, for sure. I just feel like I was a little too removed at this point uh, for it to happen. And also, I come from a really big family, where when this was happening, a lot of my extended family were helping out raise me and raise my sister. So... And even when my brother came along and I was older, but I already been through that. So like the connection is less real. So I don't have the full experience because there were just more adults around to not make me feel as emotionally like rejected or not rejected. Deject is probably a better word because rejected feels a little too intentional, which is not what he's saying in this work at all. So again, I feel like I'm in this weird, like sweet spot of missing out on a lot of beats of the story. Visually though, goddamn, this, this film's amazing. It's, it's some of his best like, visual animated work, for sure. Especially in the simplicity of what he's doing. Now, I saw the dub because all of his movies have been dubbed great, and uh, I, I prefer to see the dub when I know the dub is great. And and all the films for him have been great. The dub was great. Except for the mother at a few times. Uh, and, and for uh, the mother at times, and the dad for a very few moments. Though, I attribute this more to the direction of the writing than anything, and the direction of the acting by that. Uh, because when their moments were really good, like the la like the moment when they're packing up the car, one of the best moments in the film, mom eating cake with her mom at night before she falls asleep and Kuhn wakes up after having hung out with his mom as a kid in his dreams. Amazing moments with dialogue and, and acting and stuff like that. So I feel like it's just the fact that the characters weren't as well developed in the writing and less on like the casting or the directing. I feel like these are problems that would have persisted in the dub just at, or in the sub just as much as the dub. And that being said, I, I can still highly recommend seeing the dub. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of warmth in these choices. There's a lot of like these characters are very dynamic by the acting chops that are coming to the table for this one. Whereas some of his works, because they're works of fantasy, you have more characters and less humans. This like going back to going back to what we talked about earlier with Banana Fish. 
we're just watching humans. The fantasy element is just things happening to humans. And these are like, a girl who left her time is, is similar in that regard, but I would argue they're not as well developed as three-dimensional, but like you're like, I'm watching a person on screen, not I'm watching an anime image on screen as it is in this film. So that's about everything I have to say. Uh, if anyone in the chat has has seen the film, uh, I would love to hear your opinions on this. It's, it's one of those things where like probably unlikely because of the short runtime and our low audience because this show is still new. But uh, if you have, please say so because I, I would love to get your opinions or your discussion in before we start closing out. If you guys are listening anywhere, tweet at me, at the Mighty Mike. Love to hear your opinions on all this stuff. Yeah, I think I think with my my family being weird, like not weird, but my family being big, my experience with that definitely changed a lot of my ability to relate with Kuhn. And so I missed out on that front, and I just missed out on a lot of smaller other things because of my age right now. For for me, when it comes to his family dynamic stuff, Summer Wars easily takes the cake. Like Summer Wars we, We're gonna have to have a whole thing about Hosada one day, about what he did with each of his films leading up to Boy and the Beast. Summer Wars is the best depiction of family. I, I wouldn't say they feel like necessarily raw human beings, 100% of them, but they, as someone that comes from a huge goddamn family, just like the, the family of Summer Wars, this reflects it the best. I want to I end this on my quote, uh, my tweet quote that I put out after seeing the film because I felt like it really just reflected my, my thoughts for it. Because I've been very critical about it, but at the end of the day, it just boils down to this. It's interesting, and it's extremely different in context of other of Hosada's other works. It's if you're expecting a traditional Hosada film, it's got things where like this feels Hosada, but it's it's not. It's it, he's 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 back to his original films where he's I'm trying to learn something new. I'm trying to do something new to get better. It's back to that, and so there's going to be elements about it that are very unique in that way. That being said, I still cry in the third act. I still loved it. Even though it's probably number two, like second from the bottom for me, that's me personally. Objectively, it's probably three or two. Definitely not one. That's Boy and the Beast. So, I highly encourage you to go see this film when it starts going out on DVD and streaming. Get a copy of it. Watch it. You're, even if you don't love it, I think you're going to find something about it that's going to really connect to you emotionally and have you thinking and I think that's the strongest thing about it is because now that he's put the relationships and the family in the forefront, he's getting to ask you more questions instead of just like having you ride the emotions. And I definitely left the theater thinking about a lot more things that I do during a normal Hosada film. So anyway, guys, we're going to close it out there. Uh, a few quick things before we go. Like I said, if you're listening on podcast services, we do it live every Sunday night, 10 p.m. EST on twitch.tv slash the Mike. You should have a link for that in the about section of whatever podcast service you're finding this on. If not, just click out to go get it. If it's not in the actual description of this episode, which I don't think it is, should be in the about section for the actual podcast. I'll stream games throughout the week tomorrow, 6 p.m. EST. We start my first ever playthrough of the Kingdom Hearts franchise leading up to Kingdom Hearts 3. I hope you guys come out to support. It's going to be great. Um, I'm actually going to be playing with Game Attack later at night. So we only have enough opportunity for, uh, we have a very limited amount of overtime we can hit, but... Any extra overtime we do hit, I will just tack it on to the next Kingdom Hearts stream. We're streaming a lot this week. Check out my Twitter. I'm tweeting out the tweeting tweeting out. I'm tweeting out the schedule as soon as I'm done going live with this. Uh, putting it in the Discord. If you guys haven't joined the Discord, especially if you're in the uh, podcast services, you can find our Discord link on the Twitch page. Love you to join. Talk anime with us all the time. Talk animation in uh, West Animation all the time. 
Uh, I'm not sure what we're doing for next week's episode next Sunday. I'll tweet it out as I normally do. Two weeks from now will be Voltron. The main topic will be Voltron Legendary Defender the entire series. I am extremely excited to talk about this show. I'm going to be so sad when it's done. I hope you guys come out. Avar says, two things for you, Mike. One, I have never finished your lie. Still can't enjoy Kauri, but I'm trying. Two, what anime remake or redo really psyched you up, but let let you down? Mine was Zoids. Uh, Beyblade. The Beyblade Metal Fusion. That one, for sure. But maybe it's because Beyblade was never a really good show, and even when I rewatch it and say, no, it's good, it's just, it's just you know, glasses. Yeah, I was really hoping Zoids would be good. Um, I don't know. I haven't let that... Oh, Digimon. Digimon Tree. First two movies, amazing. All the other movies, slowly downhill. Last movie, how the fuck did we get here? What is going on? This doesn't exist. And I feel like it's going to be the same with Code Geass because they did all the retconning in the films and it's not a TV series anymore for the new season. It's a movie. So I'm worried about that. But hope that answered your question. All right, guys. I'm going to close it off here. Uh, I hope you guys have a great evening. As always, guys, be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. I'll see you tomorrow for some Kingdom Hearts. And if you guys are going to be on Twitch.tv slash Game Attack Team, I'll see you for some Game Attack streams of the night stream. As always, I'm Mike Knowles. Thank you for hanging out with me, and I'll see you guys later.